the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Now, if that's the choice that you make, then I'm telling you that your marriage is going to be in serious trouble because you have made the choice to live selfishly, thinking that you have a right for your spouse to serve you because you have considered yourself more important than your spouse. And therefore, you expect your spouse to meet your needs. Now, I guarantee you that if you do that, you're going to have a very frustrated marriage partner, and you will find yourself growing further and further away from each other until you may very well end up being divorced. I once heard someone say, and before I tell my wife something, I take both her hands in mine. That way, she can't hit me. <laughs> we often hear that marriage is hard work, or that it takes hard work. Well, no wonder it's hard. God didn't tell us to work on our marriages. He told us to work on ourselves. And even though Jesus was never married, he showed us by example what it takes for us to have marriages that are like a foretaste of heaven. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. My wife and I know a really nice couple, both well into their 70s, who are as nice as the day is long and generous to a fault, except to each other. How two Christ followers can be so insensitive and judgmental to each other is beyond me. And what's really sad is that they would have a fantastic relationship if they just treated each other the way they treat everyone else. As we continue this message on the Spirit-filled marriage from Ephesians 5, let's consider some of the things the Lord said about how we should live life in general and see how that can help us in our domestic relationships. Here's Pastor Steve. If you want to be great in my kingdom, you don't rank over people, you rank under them. You become a servant to them. You become a slave to them. You become one who is like the youngest in the family who can't order anybody around. He has to do whatever he's told, and what he does is to benefit others. And then he said, spoke of himself as the primary example. He said that the Son of Man himself, he came to serve others, not to be served. That's true greatness. That's humility. In John chapter 13, our Lord, I'm always amazed when I think about this, he washed the disciples' feet. This is the creator washing the filthy feet of a bunch of fishermen. Folks, he went in between their toes. That takes grace. This is humility. On the night he was arrested, he selflessly was thinking of his disciples and giving them instruction about what life would be like without his physical presence. Think about that. The very night that he knew he'd be betrayed and arrested and then the next day crucified, there he is not thinking about himself. He is giving himself 
to tell his disciples truths they need to, to know. This is the farewell discourse of John 14, 15, and 16. And then he spends time praying for his disciples and praying for the church, always putting others first. While dying on the cross, he was so thoughtful, our Lord so sensitive, that he made provision for his own mother to be cared for by the apostle John. He's dying for our sins. And yet he says, woman, behold your son. Turns to John and he says, behold your mother. Makes provision for his own mother while on the cross. Paul sums up Christ's entire humble mindset in Philippians chapter 2 as he tells us that Christ left his throne in in glory to become a man to die as a sacrifice for for sinners like us. Philippians chapter 2 starting at verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. And do not merely look out for your own personal interests but also for the interests of others. And then Paul says live like this because this is the way your master is. He says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus didn't hold on to the invisible form that he had always been in as the invisible God. He let go of that. He emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Our Lord was humble. Our Lord was and is a servant. Now, I am fairly certain that most of you know these truths that I've just mentioned about Jesus, that he was a humble servant, and that we as his followers are supposed to be humble servants. I am fairly confident everyone here knows that. But the dots you may never have connected in your minds is that the first and primary place where we are to be servants and to live humble lives of submission to others is in our homes and specifically in relation to our spouse. Those are the dots that I don't think we've all connected. But that's precisely what the Bible teaches because right after Paul mentions in Ephesians 5.21 that spirit-filled Christians are to be subject to one another, he illustrates it. He illustrates how this works and what being a humble servant actually looks like with the person we live with and are closest to, our spouse. So this morning at the start of our series on marriage, I want to give you a glimpse, just a glimpse today of what a spirit-filled husband looks like, what a spirit-filled wife looks like. Now, we'll see more of these truths as we progress in our, in our series, in our study, but today, just, just a little taste of what it looks like, because I want you to see in principle, and in a few practical ways, how the spirit-filled life affects your marriage and is absolutely essential to having a great marriage. But before doing that, I want to make sure that everyone here understands exactly how to be filled with the Spirit. Because unless you know this, you are not going to become the kind of husband or the kind of wife that God calls you to be. And frankly, this series on marriage will mean nothing to you. It will not have any impact on your life. It'll just fill you with knowledge and that's it if you miss this. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, first of all, you have to know Christ as your Savior to be filled with the Spirit. That's essential. You have to have turned from yourself being the ruler of your life, turned from what you're aware of as sin in your life, and trusted Christ alone 
to be your Savior, to be your Lord. So it's Christ and Christ alone whom you are trusting for your salvation. That's essential. But it is true that you can be a believer in Christ and yet not be filled with the Spirit. And so the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5.16, But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Let me say that again. Walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. This is a very significant verse because it tells us that if we walk in or by the Spirit, which is simply another way of saying be filled with the Spirit, we will not carry out the desires of our flesh. And by fleshly desires, Paul simply means those sinful inclinations of our hearts to do evil. And based on this list that Paul mentions in Galatians chapter 5, this list of fleshly desires, and let me read it to you. I'm going to make a statement and sum it up, what he's talking about. But look, and this is not an exhaustive list. It's just some, he tells us, starting in verse 19. He says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things, he means practice them as a lifestyle that that you never change from, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, all of these fleshly behaviors can pretty much be summed up as self-centeredness, seeking your own interests, stubbornly doing whatever we think will bring us pleasure, enjoyment, satisfaction, without any consideration for anyone else and how our behavior might affect them. You know what this really means? Let me put it this way. It means living as if you're the center of the universe. You're the only one that matters, and life revolves around you. That's what Paul is talking about. See, if, if you don't know how to control your selfishness and self-centered desires, and we all have them, all of us, then you're in for a very rough marriage. Timothy Keller, in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, paints this all-too-common scenario in marriage. Here's what he says. In Western culture today, you decide to get married because you feel an attraction to the other person. You think he or she is wonderful, but a year or two later or just as often a month or two, three things usually happen. First, you begin to find out how selfish this wonderful person is. Second, you discover that the wonderful person has been going through a similar experience, and he or she begins to tell you how selfish you are. And third, though you acknowledge it in part, you conclude that your spouse's selfishness is more problematic than your own. This is especially true if you feel that you've had a hard life and have experienced a lot of hurt. You say silently, okay, I shouldn't do that, but you don't understand me. The woundedness makes us minimize our own selfishness, and that's the point at which many married couples arrive after a relatively brief period of time. So, folks, what do you do if this describes your marriage? Well, you can do one of two things. One thing you can do is decide that since you've had a very difficult life and you have so many needs, far more than your spouse, then you have a legitimate right to expect your spouse to be responsible to serve you, to take care of you, to meet your needs. After all, you're a hurting person. You're wounded. 
you've been the victim of a lot of pain in your life. And so they should know this and they should do all they can for you. Now, if that's the choice that you make, then I'm telling you that your marriage is going to be in serious trouble because you have made the choice to live selfishly, thinking that you have a right for your spouse to serve you because you have considered yourself more important than your spouse. And therefore, you expect your spouse to meet your needs. Now, I guarantee you that if you do that, you're going to have a very frustrated marriage partner and you will find yourself growing further and further away from each other until you may very well end up being divorced. And if you do manage to stay together, your marriage will lack emotional warmth and intimacy. As one writer so aptly put it, couples who settle for this kind of relationship may look happily married after 40 years, but when it's time for the anniversary photo op, the kiss will be forced. Now, the other thing and the right thing you can choose to do is to recognize that regardless of how difficult your life has been or how much pain you've endured, you are not entitled to be selfish and self-centered and expect your spouse to serve you and live to meet all of your needs. Instead, you've chosen to make a commitment to obey God in your marriage and therefore live, watch this, to serve your spouse. And the only way that this transformation from selfishness to sacrificial service for your spouse will ever take place is when you are filled by the Spirit. Because Paul said that if you walk by the Spirit, you will not satisfy those selfish desires of the flesh. So practically speaking, how do we walk by the Spirit? How do we do this? As I said in the series on Galatians, it is not complicated. It is not mysterious. It is not mystical. You do not need to go to Bible college to understand this. To walk by the Spirit, you must feed your mind the Spirit's truth, meaning biblical truth with a heart that is willing to obey those truths. Listen, this book is the voice of the Spirit in print. That's what it is. Fill your mind with the Spirit's voice. And Paul says, you're not going to walk by the flesh. When you fill your mind with biblical truth, you will inevitably starve those fleshly desires. In other words, to walk by the Spirit means to be under His control by filling your heart with the Word of God, with an attitude that is in submission to that Word. That means... You have to be daily in the word and applying the word and thinking about the word and memorizing the word and meditating on the word. This doesn't mean that you go to, go to work and don't pay attention to what you're doing. It means in those spare moments of life, and there are plenty of them, you discipline your mind to think on biblical truth. Memorize scripture and it'll force you to think about it. So if you will choose to, as I said, discipline your mind by cultivating the habit of focusing on biblical truth, and you will be a self-giving servant to your spouse, and you'll have a very good marriage. Back to great marriage. Taste of heaven on earth. But you might say, well, what if only one of us decides to humbly serve the other, and the other continues to live selfishly? Then you will still, and that is often the way it is, but you will still have the joy of knowing that you are obeying the Lord, even if your spouse chooses not to. Hopefully, your spouse will eventually learn from your example and repent 
of their sinfulness, their selfishness. But before God, listen, you are only responsible for your behavior, not your spouse's. They'll stand before God someday and give an account of how they behaved. That's really what you need to keep in mind, that your primary goal in marriage is not to have, note this, a great marriage. That that should not be your primary goal. But rather, your goal should be to obey God by being the kind of husband or wife that he wants you to be, regardless of how your spouse behaves. And let me say that again. The primary issue in marriage is your personal godliness, your personal obedience to Christ, not being happily married. You see, if you seek happiness as the number one goal in your marriage, you will end up just being very frustrated because you'll never be happy enough. It's like trying to catch the wind. You can't do it. It's elusive. And what will happen is happiness in your marriage, which you're, you're pursuing, becomes an idol. It becomes everything, all-consuming, and you miss the point. You'll end up being very frustrated because you'll never be happy enough. But if you seek godly obedience to Christ as the number one goal in your marriage, then you will have the joy that comes with knowing that you're pleasing the Lord. That's the issue. So, for the remainder of our time this morning, I want to give you a glimpse of what a spirit-filled husband looks like and what a spirit-filled wife looks like. As I said, you'll see more in the weeks to come. This is just a snapshot. So, let's first look at the spirit-filled husband. Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, Paul writes, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, starting here in verse 25, Paul speaks about the responsibility of a husband to love his wife, he says, as Jesus loves the church. But hold that thought. Hold that thought because it's not until verse 32 that Paul explains why. Why do this? Why a husband should love his wife as Christ loves the church? This makes all the difference in the world. Look at verses 31 and 32. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Folks, this is profound. This is deep. This should open up your thinking. In these two verses, Paul says that marriage is a picture of Christ and his church. And that when Genesis 2 spoke of the very first marriage between Adam and Eve, thousands of years earlier, that God was giving us a graphic picture of what Christ's relationship was to be with his own bride, the church, even though the church didn't come into existence until the New Testament era. This is a picture of what we're to be like in our, in our own marriages Here's the way one commentator, George Knight, explained what Paul is is saying. He said, unbeknownst to the people of Moses' day, it was a mystery. Marriage was designed by God from the beginning to be a picture or a parable of the relationship between Christ and the church. Back when God was planning what marriage would, would be like, he planned it for this great purpose. It would give a beautiful earthly picture of the relationship that would someday come about between Christ and and his church, this was, this was not known to people for many generations, and that's why Paul calls it a mystery. 
But now in the New Testament age, Paul reveals this mystery and it's amazing. He goes on to say, this means that when Paul wanted to tell the Ephesians about marriage, he did not just hunt around for a helpful analogy and suddenly think that Christ and the church might be a good teaching illustration. No, it was much more fundamental than that. Paul saw that when God designed the original marriage, he already had Christ and his church in mind. This is one of God's great purposes in marriage, to picture the relationship between Christ and his redeemed people forever. End of quote. Now, folks, this is what lifts marriage to new heights that many Christian husbands have never considered. In fact, many Christian wives haven't considered either. God expects a husband to treat his wife in the same manner that Jesus treats his church. Why? Because this displays the glory of God. This puts his character on display by demonstrating Christ and his love. And the only way a husband will ever do this is by being under the control of the Spirit of God. And when he is under the Spirit's control, here's the way he's going to treat his wife. Paul says he's going to love her in the same manner that Jesus loves his bride. So how does Jesus love his bride? Paul says in verse 25, he gave himself up for her. So when a husband is walking by the Spirit, he is going to love his wife, get this, with a Christ-like sacrificial love in the sense that he's not going to be stubborn, he's not going to be selfish, he's not going to see himself as the center of the universe, he is going to give himself up for his wife as her servant. Now, in practical terms, What does this mean? It means, guys, that you have to be willing to give up everything. Everything. Your time, your energy, your conveniences, your pleasures, your finances, even your life to serve your wife. It means that you lay down whatever you consider to be your rights, you lay them down for your wife. That's precisely how Jesus lived. He didn't live to please himself. Romans chapter 15, hear the word of God. Romans chapter 15, starting at verse one. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. That's a general truism. He's not talking about marriage here, but generally that's true. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. He lived to please the Father. He lived to minister to others. That's how our Lord lived. He lived to serve others. He lived to benefit them. He was a servant to others, sacrificing everything for the sake of the church. Listen, gentlemen, marriage is a call to death, your death. You must die to your own self-seeking interests and what you want to do as you seek to please your wife. An elderly friend of mine told a story just today about his grandparents, who he said were the most godly people he ever knew. Hilda was working in the kitchen one day and heard a loud commotion out back. She looked and found two young men ripping her porch apart. 
When she asked what they were up to, they said that Mr. Hugh, her husband, told them that he needed the wood to frame the foundation of the house he was building for her. And that's how she found out that she was getting an upgrade from a clapboard shack to a nice brick home across the street. She loved her new home. Hugh didn't ask her permission. He just knew she'd like it, and so he did it, just like Jesus does for us. What a neat story of love and trust and a powerful example of a man understanding and providing for his wife's needs. You've been listening to Verse by Verse. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry of Lakeside. To learn how you can help us continue these Bible classes of the air, call Lakeside at 727-441-1714 or go online to versebyverseradio.org and click the giving link. That's versebyverseradio.org or call 727-441-1714. If you visit our website, I hope you'll pay a visit to our message archive page. All of our previous broadcasts are available there for free streaming or downloading. I'm Jerry Peterson. Like me, I'm sure you've heard lots of men really camp out on those three famous verses in Ephesians 5, the ones that instruct wives to be subject to their husbands. They can't seem to move on to the next eight verses, which spell out the tremendous responsibilities and sacrifices necessary for us to be godly husbands. Jesus died for the church. As we'll see on the next verse by verse, we are to have that same self-sacrificing spirit towards our wives. I hope you can join us. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.